May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others. Let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the sky. Climb on every rung and may you stay. May you grow up to be true. May you always know the truth and see the light surrounding you. May you always be courageous, stand upright and be strong. And may you stay forever. If you're not a psychopath, then that probably sounded pretty good to your ears. That is a Bob Dylan song, you may or may not know, but that was The Tenors. They're a Canadian group. Uh, they're very good. They can sing, and I appreciate singing. So much so that when a beautiful woman can sing, I tell myself, despite failing multiple relationships and swearing off dating, I tell myself, I'm ready to get hurt again. It has that effect. I don't know. Singing is my weakness. I appreciate it. So go ahead and check them out. The tenors. You can YouTube them. They have a few good ones. But yeah, what a tune. What a tune. Hopefully your 4th of July weekend has gone well. Did go well? Question mark. Uh, went well. Mine went well. I didn't do anything. I didn't do shit on the 4th, but I had a fun 3rd. We went out to Shannon's for a little shindig, as we do at least every other week. It was pretty fun. Not a big turnout, but as we say, quality over quantity. Always, always, always. I'll take seven good or great people over 20. Eh, I mean, they're here, right? I'm sure you agree. Um, I recently I recently decided that I'm going to be um, a more helpful friend to my good ex, Taylor, uh, it's not a compromise. It's not a sacrifice. It's not like being in a relationship where and many people would call it a compromise, but let's be real. It's a sacrifice. When you're in a relationship, you have to sacrifice your time and the things you want to do. We've talked about that before. But when you are a true friend, you have a responsibility. I think that's a better word. You have a responsibility to try and enhance that person's life because you're their friend and they're your friend and you care about each other, but not on a relationship level. Her and I were in a relationship. We no longer are. Now we are just friends. And just recently I have been given the chance to sort of talk with her and help her in a friendly way. And it's kind of refreshing. It's kind of cool. Um, when you're a friend to somebody, you're like a wingman. You're like a hype man, except not just for other people. You're their life wingman. It's your duty to, to hype them up, to keep them going, to keep their head up, you know, it's a totally different dynamic than a relationship. And so today's podcast will be um, 
a friend of mine will say, because names aren't important, is talking to, quote-unquote, or seeing, quote-unquote, but not officially dating yet, a young man who I don't know and have never met, and that's also why names aren't important, because I just don't know the guy, um, and we're going to attempt to, together, psychoanalyze him based on clues we were given, and it is fun. Even if you're not a psychology nerd, it's fun. You don't have to have your face in textbooks. I was listening to a psychology lecture earlier from Dr. Jordan Peterson, and God, it's just fascinating stuff. I don't know how anybody can't find it interesting. Taylor never did. She always made fun of me when she would catch me listening to psychology lectures and podcasts and whatnot. She's like, really? Well, yeah, it fascinates me. I guess everybody, you can't really choose what you're what you're really into and passionate about. It's just you either are or you aren't. Because people who ride horses, and they fucking love to ride horses, like, you don't choose that. They tried it one time, and they fell in love with it. You don't choose to, to love playing the drums. You can't force yourself to have that extra thing in you where you're willing to practice for hours a day and get better. And that applies to everything. And for me, it's, it's psychology. Uh, when this friend came to me, and was flustered or frustrated because, well, well, well let's talk about it. All right. Um, so I get this message on Facebook, and this friend tells me, yeah, I, uh, I've been talking to this guy, but it's really frustrating. And immediately my ears perked up, and I'm like, ooh, do tell. We have a mystery on our hands. I like to unlock the mind. I like to dive in, do a deep dive, and figure people out. That is my thing. If you were to tell me I've never met this person, but here are some things about this person, I can get you somewhere. I'm not a professional. I don't claim to be, and I don't claim to have all of the answers, but I can get you somewhere close. Always, every time, I can get you somewhere near where this person is at or why this person could possibly be this way. And so she says, I'm frustrated. I'm talking to this guy. He is shy. Okay. All right. So... We're going to need some more information. Obviously, shy is pretty broad. And let's have a dialogue here. This is not a monologue, because when you listen to a podcast, you have your own thoughts. You're not just a sheep who's listening mindlessly. So, oh, there's somebody fucking yelling outside. It's such a place that I live in, such a... Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're yelling about, but they're having a little argument. I don't know if that's being picked up on the mic or not, but how distracting. Anyway, so I'm talking to this guy, and he's shy, and it's, it's frustrating me. Well, why would somebody being shy frustrate you? Are you wanting things to move quicker than they are? That's my first thought. Because people who are shy are usually reserved. Who are, they're usually closed off. Um, we've all known shy people. Uh, people who, who just say you're sitting around a fire and there's five or six of you and another person shows up. You'll know very quickly if this person is shy or not. Uh, somebody who's really outgoing and uh, boisterous and you know, talkative, they're going to jump right in. It was almost like they were there the whole time. Somebody who's shy, probably just going to say, oh, hi guys, you know, I don't mean to make them sound dumb, but you know, shy, hi guys. And they'll just sit there and not really chime in until maybe they get more comfortable or maybe that never happens. So shyness, eh, we don't know a whole lot yet, but in this dialogue, feel free to play along as you get the clues, just as I did. I asked certain questions, and, and she ended up telling me, you hit the nail on the head. Like, you nailed it. This is exactly... And well, 
Right, because in behavioral psychology, patterns are everything. Humans are nuanced, we are complex, we are different, we vary so much racially, culturally, you know, age matters, that's a factor. There's just, we, we vary so much, but ultimately, there are patterns. And once you notice patterns, not only can you begin to apply that to meeting other people, but you also will, for the person that you're noticing the patterns with, you'll also be able to more accurately, not 100%, but more accurately predict how this person and these people will behave in the future. Um, when you are about 24 or 25, your prefrontal cortex finally finishes developing fully. That is what they say, they being people who are much more intelligent than myself. And when this happens, you're really, like, as far as physiologically, an adult. And that's why some people don't think that 18-year-olds should get to have the decision-making power that they have because, really, they're, they're still children in a way, as far as the brain is concerned. And so let's get back to it. She, uh, she says, I'm talking to this guy and he's shy. And uh, so now we're going to call this segment The Clues of Confiding. So I said, okay, let's talk about it. Because she said nobody will talk with her about it and she's, she's frustrated. Um, so she confides in me. And I said, well, what do you mean? And one of the first things that she said to me was, I can't get to him. I can't get through to him. And I thought, what do you mean you can't get to him? Is he so closed off? Maybe, maybe shy wasn't a strong enough word. Is he so closed off that he's just one of those one-word answer peoples, people? Uh, one-word answers people? Uh, is he... Does he have depression, I'm wondering, uh, at this point? Because all I've been told is that he's very closed off and she can't get through to him. Now... Oftentimes when people have a wall up like this, and that's what it's called a lot, is a wall, uh, an emotional barrier, uh, there's, there's almost always a reason for it. We aren't born that way. We are born social creatures. It's, it's in our best interest to be social and to be confident because that ensures the survival of our species because we are more likely to reproduce when we are both social and confident. And so naturally we are born that way. Uh... You can call it having game or just social skills, whatever you want to call it, we're born with that. And so when you see people who have this wall, this barrier, it's a tough nut to crack. You can't get through to him, as she said. There's, there's reasons for that. And just like there are only so many behavioral patterns, there are only so many roots that lead to said patterns. There are only so many reasons why people are the way they are. So we start asking questions. She also said, he's messing with me. Now, I did not interpret that to mean that he is actively messing with her, as if, as if to say he is intentionally uh, throwing mixed signals. The way I interpreted it, and I had her confirm, is that it was messing with her and bothering her, and it was flustering her that she couldn't get through to him because she kind of likes this guy and he just won't open up. That's what that meant. And the other phrase that I remember her specifically saying is, he won't let me in. Now these are three different phrases, but they essentially say the same thing. I can't get through to him. 
It's messing with me. He's messing with me. And he won't let me in. So I start asking some questions, more questions, right? These emotional barriers, they're primarily a defense mechanism. It's your brain putting up a wall because it does not like being hurt. It's operant conditioning. Uh, let's say you touch the stove and the stove is hot, you learn you don't want to touch it again. Okay, so parallel to that, if we attempt to be social and we attempt to court another person, guy or girl, if guy guy, if you're into that sort of thing, hashtag gay is cool in 2020, um, and you get burned, not physically, but emotionally, you are less likely to attempt it again. And the amount of tries that we have in us are different from person to person. Some people never fucking give up. They'll fail a hundred times and get rejected a hundred times and just keep trying. And it doesn't matter to them. Some people go, oh, fuck it. I tried after one or two or, or five. And then they just, they shut down. And that can be permanent. Or it can take the right person to snap them out of it and bring them back and go, hey, not everybody is the way that you've been treated. Um, not everybody is going to reject you and make you feel shitty. And so I told her that she needs to be patient, but not too patient, and try and get these, these, these barriers or these walls sort of lowered because it's tough. It's a tough ask, especially when they have deep roots, especially stemming into the childhood, to uh, bring these walls down. And so what would cause somebody to have to be tough to reach, to get to, to have these emotional barriers? Well, most common, I would say, it's stuff from your childhood. If you have a shitty upbringing, a child's mind is like a sponge. See, when you're an adult and you have a bad day, you have the ability to have it just bounce off of you like rubber. Like, ah, fuck, you're mad for a moment, boom, the moment has passed. But when you're a child, your brain is still absorbing everything. It's forming who you are. It's forming your perspective, your perception of the world. And when you have trauma, and that can come in the form of uh, being bullied by other children, it can come in the form of your parents being a little too aggressive, physically, emotionally, sexually, God forbid, and that, that stays with you for life. It just does. And people who have terrible childhoods, um, that trauma... It never really goes away. You, you learn to compartmentalize it and you tuck it away in its own special place, but you never forget that stuff. You never forget your abusers. And oftentimes, the people who are really closed off, it's something that stems from their childhood. Now, not always. And that doesn't mean that if you do have a shitty childhood that you're guaranteed to be this way for, for life. Some people are super outgoing. Uh, I'm pretty... Res not reserved, I'm pretty detached. I had a shitty childhood, but I, I, I learned that I wasn't the one with the issue. I was just a kid trying to eat food and get bigger so I could become an adult and be on my own because I wasn't enjoying the places, the houses, not homes, that I lived in. And I realize now that it was the adults that were at fault. And because of that, I can rationalize things. And when I have certain negative thoughts, I know that much of it has to do with those people sort of 
like I'm a plant and they didn't feed and water me properly, if that's a good analogy. Um, I guess the damage, if you can isolate it and identify it, you'll be much better off. But okay, so it didn't necessarily have to be from his childhood. That was just one example. So I said, hey, how was his childhood? She didn't know yet. She has not discussed that with him yet. I said, okay, does he have any mental illnesses? Has he been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, depression? Does he have any, hopefully, not super serious ones like schizophrenia? Uh, is, I'm just asking not because I'm trying to diagnose. And even if I was a psychologist, even if I had my degree and I was a doctor, Dr. Ben, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get it right every time either. People are misdiagnosed all the time. People are given the wrong medications all of the time, daily. It's a problem. And so even if I was a doctor, I, I don't think that I'm going to be 100%. But I, like I said, I can get you close. So does he have any mental illnesses? Uh, none that he has been open about. I'm told by my friend. So we don't know. Because that's another thing. It doesn't, you know, you get your childhood. You've, what, could, what else could cause someone to be closed off? Mental illnesses. People who are depressed... Well, the world's a pretty dark place. So even if you are talking to, quote-unquote, or seeing somebody, you still might not be opening up and, and letting your, your inner self go. You might be closed off. That's one other reason. I said, and this is an important one, is he on any medication? Anything that is a... Uh, basically anything that's a drug for your brain. I think they're called psychotropics. Uh, there's SSRIs. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, mood stabilizers. Is If he's on any of these things, and say he skips a dose for a day or two, especially more than one day, that's a big problem. One day isn't huge, but after that, if you skip your dose, you can become a totally different person. Because these things are like life preservers for your brain and your, the way your chemicals are, are running through your brain. They, they keep things afloat and consistent. That's what they do. And when you skip them, naturally, without what you're accustomed to having, you're going to feel completely different, and therefore you will act completely different. You will behave not as you would before. And she did not know if he was on any medication. So I've been on a lot of meds. I've been on Seroquel, Citalopram, Lexapro, Abilify, uh, Depakote, just different things that are made to alter. I, I would say mess with, but that's not a very professional word. How about alter your mental state, your consciousness, literally? And they are powerful. And when the wrong people are given them, well, let's just say that a study found like fucking 85% of mass shooters were on some sort of brain drug, we'll call it. And if that correlation does not equal causation, I get that. But if that doesn't show that coincidence is the least of your concerns, I, th I think there's more to it than that when the percentage is that high. Uh, Rogan talks about it once in a while, and I find that fascinating. Um, so I was like, what's he like? And she said, well, he puts himself down a lot. Now, self-deprecation is one of the main red flags when you are looking for somebody with depression. And not to be confused with self-deprecating humor, which is the cousin or the brother of self-deprecation. 
you know, when we make fun of ourselves, ha ha, I'm such a douche, you know, that's self-deprecating humor. And that isn't as severe as just flat out self-deprecation. Someone saying, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, uh, I can't do this, I, I've never been good at that. Just constantly putting yourself down is one of the main things that people who are depressed do. And you can be hanging out with a depressed friend. A friend might just, they just don't have any confidence, they don't have any self-esteem. They, they don't ever have anything good to say about themselves. Now, conversely, you can go to the other end of the spectrum and you can find somebody who's a narcissist, acute narcissistic personality disorder, someone who can't say enough good things about themselves. That's not good either. We, we're not talking about that, though. We're talking about a guy who is apparently, uh, he, is, he is ostensibly putting himself down, insulting himself constantly, and we don't know why. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm super curious. We got to figure out why. I need more. I need more information. Because at this point, I'm pretty invested. And I don't know what to think. I mean, I, I've been given a lot of clues, and I have some pretty good guesses, and she doesn't know about some of the things that I'm asking. And so I continue to ask. Because it's, it's important to note uh, if, if it becomes a pattern. Now, in science, one time is not a pattern, two times is not a pattern, but three or more times, it is a pattern. And so I asked her... Um, is this a frequent thing? Yes, it's, it's almost all the time. Uh, he says things like, I hate people. And that's another thing for people who are depressed. And we actually don't, I say we because I know exactly what's going on there. We don't necessarily hate people. We hate how we feel. And we hate how it, it appears that other people are quote unquote normal or happy and we aren't. And so we get frustrated. So we don't really hate people, and I really doubt this young man hates people, but he says he does. And so we're, we're seeing patterns here just from the, the clues that we are given. It's a lot of negativity. It's a lot of darkness. So we already know this guy's not in the greatest place, but we need more answers. We need more clues. Uh, I said, is he ever, like, happy or angry, or is it just kind of like a consistently sad thing? Because if you're just a flat line, and you're just consistently, you know, like Eeyore, thanks for noticing from Winnie the Pooh. He's never happy. He's never angry. He's just always like this. That's one thing. But if he's, if he's manic, if he experiences the highs and the lows and he's all over the place, then we got to ask, is he bipolar? And that word is, it sounds worse than it is because bipolar just means both poles, high and low. And I think to an extent... It's good to have both of those in your life rather than just one or the other. Even just being happy, like all the time, those people are fucking annoying, and that's not healthy. You have to experience the cold to, to appreciate the warmth. Um, so is he, is he bipolar? I don't know. Okay, uh, does, he, does he go from, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, yay, to the next day being like, eh, not really, you know, meh. Because if so, that's that's extremely bipolar, to be all to be that varying in your emotions. On any given day, you catch me. I'm not going to be excited. I'm not going to be angry or sad or mad. I'm just going to be. That's me, and I'm consistently that way always. On Sunday, when I don't sleep well and I, I wake up, I might be a little crabby, but you'll never know. Uh, Tuesday, I slept great. I'm not waking up and I'm, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel fucking great. No, I'm still going to be like, 
meh, you know. And part of that is my, I guess my genetics could be some CTE. I don't know. I, I would be curious to know. And it's impossible to know most things like that because people vary so much. But um, let's say we have two different types of, instead of saying depression, let's say mood because that's more broad. There's functional and dysfunctional. Functional meaning the surroundings should reflect how you feel. If you have a good day, you went out to eat, you went to a movie, you had fun, you, you got a call from your parents, you hadn't heard from them in a while, like you had a good day. So a normal person, quote unquote, would be happy, would be visibly and audibly, noticeably, at least happy, you know, like, ooh, I had a good day. That would be functional because it, it correlates. It, it's a direct reflection of your day. Now, let's say that person had that same day and they were still sad. That would be dysfunctional. Dysfunctional meaning your surroundings, your outside stream of information into your brain should indicate that you are happy, but you aren't dysfunctional. So I asked, I inquired, even on good days, does he seem down? Yes. And he hates people, and he self-deprecates, and he procrastinates, and he has difficulty expressing emotions. These, these are all things that I asked and that she confirmed. And so there is a lesser version of bipolar, and it's called cyclothemic. Cyclo, cycle, and thymic, or themic, just meaning like a disorder, like a, a disorder of, of cycles or cycle disorder, right? And it's a lesser version of bipolar. And the, the key word there is cycle, because if it's a cycle, it's a pattern. It'll come back around like a circle. And I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be. But this is what it sounds like to me. It doesn't sound like he's super manic, like he's, yay, fuck, yay, fuck. It sounds to me like it's more like medium tone to down to medium to down. I think it's some cyclo activity of the brain here. This is, and this is all confirmed by her, not that she's a doctor either, and we don't have our medical degrees, but we're interested. I'm interested, so we're getting to the bottom of it. Because procrastination is another thing that people with depression do. Patterns. Patterns are super important. And um, another thing that I, that I asked about, because I'm trying to figure out why he's this way, is uh, does he have a history of being cheated on? Because that's one way to really close somebody off, especially when you're trying to see a guy and the guy is not really making himself seeable. Maybe other girls have broke his heart. Maybe he doesn't want to open up because you're a girl. Turns out, yes, he has been cheated on. Okay? Uh, even if you hadn't been cheated on, just simply getting rejected over and over and over will decrease your proclivity to even tr continue trying. Uh, you'll be really disheartened and discouraged. Uh, I can attest to that, and I haven't fully given up, but I'm getting to the point where, and I had talked with my buddy Jordan, we're getting to the point where it's like, why even try, <laughs> you know? Because every girl thinks that they deserve a guy who's a 10 with a 10, if you know what I'm saying. And so 
even talking to a girl who's like a seven, she'll act like you don't even exist, you know? It's a weird thing. Um, yeah. You're, you're more likely to endure less of it at the very least. And that's kind of what I got. And she said, yeah, that's pretty darn accurate. Um, the thing is, she told me that he, quote unquote, is flaky and ditched her multiple times and he can go up to nine hours without responding hence the procrastination and to me there's two ways of looking at this because his excuse for it almost every time is uh, sorry I just lost track of time well nobody is so bad with time that you don't answer for nine hours or like some of the girls I've talked to for days nobody's that bad with time I don't buy that excuse that's bullshit there's two potential reasons why somebody could or would ignore somebody for that long, whether it's a friend, whether you're seeing this person, whatever. Number one, genuine social desire is non-negotiable. Genuine desire. If someone really craves being around you as a friend, as a girlfriend, as a fuck buddy, whatever, it's non-negotiable. It's either there or it's not. And my dad told me when I was really young, you will never have to wonder if someone is into you, if someone likes you. They will behave accordingly. They will, they will let you know because actions speak louder than words ever could. You'll never be left to wonder, does this person like me? You will fucking know. They will let you know. They will talk to you frequently and consistently. They will want to hang out with you. They will make plans and they will stick to them. Genuine desire is non-negotiable. There are no exceptions. You cannot convince yourself, yes, I think this person still likes me, if they aren't acting like it. It's a two-way street. So one, I told her, either he's not as into you as you are into him, or he really, really is struggling with depression. Because to go that long without responding, and the odds are he has seen the messages the odds are he knows that he got the message and just didn't respond. And if you've ever experienced a bout of real depression, I remember one in particular when I lived in Wadena in the house. Um, I had it so bad one day that I... Tired isn't even the right word. I, I was lying down on the living room floor and I just... I would occasionally check my phone but I didn't get up to eat. I couldn't fall asleep. But I had I didn't have the energy to get up, to change clothes, to go for a walk, to go for a bike ride, to to take a drink of water. I didn't have I didn't I felt like I was dead. It was probably one of the worst just out of nowhere, so dysfunctional because there was really nothing wrong. I I wasn't in danger. No one had just hurt my feelings. I, there was no reason. It was just there, so dysfunctional. And that was probably one of the worst instances. I don't remember anything except for it was a day where I spent most of the day just lying on the living room floor. And so when people are really slow to respond, that has to be considered. And it's not a guarantee, and it's not a, you know, nothing is 100% in that field. There can be overlying and underlying and overlapping, and there can be a lot of reasons. But that would be the other thing. 
That would be the only thing that I could think of that would make him, especially if, if he semi-likes her back, my friend, that would be the only thing that I could think of, is either he's just not as into you as you are into him, that's not a genuine desire, or homeboy, homeboy here is, is really struggling. I, I don't know any other way to, to look at it. And she, I think, I gather, wants to move it forward into dating, but she is not going to do that until he uh, lowers that wall. Um, I remember in the show Dexter, Dexter, who is a psychopath, he's trying to make a friend, and this guy, Miguel, is like a sociopath, not a full psychopath, but so he feels a little bit more emotion, and uh, he's trying to get through to Dexter, and one day they have an argument, and he's just like, dude, you put your wall up so high, nobody can get close to you, and that's that parallels what it sounds like we're dealing with here because that's pretty bad when a pretty girl even can't get close to you and uh, he also said a couple of things that I found interesting um, she wanted to despite being flustered and frustrated and getting impatient she wanted to sort of progress and I said does it feel like you're taking one step forward and two steps back sometimes yes well, that's because you're not dealing with somebody who emotionally is extremely healthy. The uh, proof is in the pudding here. And she said, he makes up these excuses. He says things that aren't even true. And I said, okay, like what? He told her, I think you're still hooked on your boyfriend, your ex-boyfriend. And this friend of mine, who I will not name has not been with her boyfriend for almost two years. That's a long time. And she shows no signs of still wanting to be with her boyfriend. That's one excuse. Another excuse is he accuses her of just using him as a rebound post-relationship. And again, the relationship has been over for two years. This didn't happen, this breakup of my friend and her ex did not happen last week. So you have to ask yourself, why would someone use these excuses? Well, I would argue that despite how it sounds, it sounds like somebody genuinely being concerned. Like, I really don't want to get used as a rebound, and I really suspect that you still have feelings for your boyfriend, so we better not proceed. Right. No. Here's how I see it. I see that as deflection. I see that as a method of adding to that wall. It's mortar for the wall because he doesn't want someone to get close for whatever reason. And that's interesting to me. There must be some real hurting going on inside that he doesn't want anyone. He disallows everyone to get close. And when someone almost gets close, then he has to pull out the big guns like, nah, you're probably just trying to get a rebound off me. Uh, you probably are still... No, these are just excuses. He's keeping distance between you. That's what he's doing by saying these things. If you were to clear up both of those, there would likely be another excuse. Ah, I'm just uh, not ready. I just, you know... And most of the time, people won't take the blame themselves, but 
desperate times call for desperate measures. If you're really trying to keep people at a distance, then you can turn it on yourself and be like, I'm just not, you know, ready. Whatever it takes to keep people at a distance. Deflection. And here's one, you know, one reason, because there are many potential reasons for using those excuses. Um, I would say if I was using reverse psychology, now this is the next level. If I was using reverse psychology and I really wanted to bang a girl, I would maybe throw out a couple of those one-liners like, nah, you're probably just trying to use me as a rebound just so it makes it look like I'm not really eager to get in them panties. And that would be some high-level reverse psychology because you'd have to say it the right way with the right tone. You'd have to act genuinely concerned. Nah, you're probably still uh, hooked on your ex-boyfriend. We better not hook up. And that would force her, it would force the ball into her court. It would, it would cause her to be the one that has to make the next emotional move and go, no, no, I'm, I'm not. I, I really do like you. And that's when you could make your move. And it would make you look less like a player, less like a, you know, womanizer. If you just used a little bit of that reverse psychology on the ladies and you could do that with any girl. Uh, because if you start hanging out with a female and you say, let's just fuck, then all of a sudden you're that guy already. But if you play the guy, and I don't want to use the word victim, but if you play the guy who is completely okay with moving slower because you're not so sure that she's fully meeting you halfway, even though you know she is, that's one way to get her to come more than halfway, if that makes sense. Because two people have to agree to start fucking, being bang buddies. And you don't want to make it feel like you're the one who went most of the way. Because that makes you look thirsty. <laughs> and nobody wants to look thirsty. So that's another possibility. Uh, probably not likely. It's more likely the former than the latter. But it is a possibility. And you have to consider all possibilities. Another thing is he, he might actually just feel that way. I, I don't know why you would, but somebody who is in that position of, uh, you know, all the things we've discussed, among them being cheated on and being betrayed by ladies, young ladies, was repeated more than once in his life. Uh, that's a shitty experience to go through even one time. I can't imagine, I've only been cheated on once. I can't imagine being cheated on multiple times. That would probably mess with me, to use her words. And so maybe he really just doesn't trust easily. And she's getting to the point where she's losing patience. And I told her, I'm not being biased here. I'm going to tell you just the way it is, objectively. Don't wait too long. Don't give too many chances because then you're enabling. And operant conditioning or positive and or negative reinforcement is extremely important. So if you're giving this guy like another chance and another chance and another chance and you just keep giving him these chances, he's not going to have any reason to change his behavior. And if your goal is to get him to lower these walls and to start responding with a bit more of a punctual manner, you know, like not eight hours in between messages. And if your goal is to get closer, then you need to positively reward when he does allow that to happen 
and negatively reward when he disallows that to happen so that you can, without saying anything, so that you can make this happen. Um, positive reinforcement. You do what I want you to do, I reward you with something that you enjoy. And that could be anything. A date, a blowy, you know, a back rub. And that will encourage you to continue doing what you were doing. Positive reinforcement. Here's an example of negative reinforcement. You do something that I don't like and I don't want you to do, and I'm going to not talk to you for a day. I'm going to cancel plans for tonight. Something that you dislike, and this will discourage you from repeating that behavior. Operant conditioning. And even, and I'm not saying anyone is smart or dumb, I'm just going to say even the dumbest people, because we are animals after all, even the dumbest people understand operant conditioning. Because mice understand it. <laughs> if they touch this and they get a little shock, they're not touching that again. Maybe one more time than they really learned, right? That's what experiments teach us. Patterns. Patterns are extremely important. Um, one other thing I want to mention before I close this off is my buddy Jordan told me that he thinks he's going to do the unspeakable. He thinks he's going to ditch these dating apps and he's going to have to actually start going out and talking to girls face to face because the dating apps have been nothing but rejection after rejection after rejection. And he said, you know, because after all, women are not forced to look into the mirror when they shoot a guy down on a dating app. He's essentially saying that women who are fives are turning down guys who are sevens just because they can. And we've spoken ad nauseum about this in the past. It's just that men are too pussy whipped and they've gone out of their way to do everything they can for a female just to get in those average pants. And so this has caused, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The action of men being too nice to women has caused women to respond by feeling like they deserve that all of the time, and even average women. And so I said, well, in my experience, the face-to-face -face thing doesn't make them any more forgiving. Let's just say, for example, I'm a seven. If I talk to another girl who is a, a five and she rejects me, okay, maybe she just didn't like me, whatever. How about another girl who's a five? Uh, she rejects me because I'm just a seven. Okay, you see where I'm going here? Now I talk to a girl who's a four and she rejects me because I'm just a seven. Well, I think you get where I'm going here, but this is a really common theme. Now my buddy Jordan, let's say he's a seven. I, I don't know what he is. I like him, but let's say he's been talking to girls who are fives and sixes, maybe a couple of sevens, just consistently being rejected. It's because women have become so accustomed to being treated the way that they want, that they think they deserve a Prince Charming to be treated like royalty, they want a guy who's tall, dark, and handsome, and muscular, and fucking fat dick, and lots of money, and blah, blah, blah. And all we want is just a girl who's cute. Just don't be fat. That's it. Boom. That's it. And that's asking too much. That makes us sexist, <laughs> apparently. And he said a girl recently messaged him who's not bad looking. But in her message, she said, I'm not in the right state of mind to be messaging right now, so I will message you when I feel better. Now, that's a whole nother thing. We're not going to get into that. 
but I said, Occam's razor, <laughs> the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Why would somebody fucking say that? They're putting you on the back burner. That's her saying, like, uh, if all my other options are exhausted or expired, then I'll talk to you. She likely has other people she's talking to right now, and just from what she's seen, she's not making him a top priority, so he's on the back burner. Because yeah, how, how difficult is it to send a message? I'm not in the right state of mind to message you right now, but you just messaged me. You messaged me that you weren't in the right state of mind to message me. What's going on? And I said, it sounds to me like she just put you on the back burner, bro. And he said exactly what I was thinking. He said, I agree. So we're on the same page. Genuine desire is non-negotiable. If he had a fucking 10-incher and a million dollars and he was in a Ferrari, do you think she would have said, um, maybe I'll talk to you in the future. I'm not really in the right state of mind. Of course not. Jesus Christ. Things are a lot more simple than many people try to make them be. Um, I ran out of water. I have cotton mouth. We're at 45 minutes. We're just going to wrap this up here. Uh, I hope that you all had a good weekend and that you all have a, a good week. We'll be back soon because we've got to keep feeding this goddamn website. I enjoy doing podcasts and I enjoy listening to podcasts. So we're going to keep her going. Um, I think I covered everything. The whole, the whole gist of it is just that when you, I would love to meet this guy and talk to him because I feel like a f just one hour, give me one hour and just alone. And I can talk to this fella and I would have everything unlocked. I would have him talking about how his mom treated him when he was eight. I would, I would have this guy singing like a bird. You ask the right questions, you're going to get the right answers. Um, but I was only able to work through asking her questions about him, and many of them she didn't even know. But because of the things that I was asking, I think she has a better eye for what to look for now. And I'm sure, as you have been listening to this, maybe you know somebody who fits this description. Maybe it's a friend or an acquaintance. Maybe you learned something. I hope so. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're adept already at reading people because reading people doesn't come from a, a textbook. Psychologists who are well-read and well-versed in the books, the ancient scripts of the art, that doesn't necessarily make them able to read people. That comes with experience and that comes with having a passion for it and wanting to read people. When you walk into a room of five people, within five minutes you should know who the introverts are, who the extroverts are, who is probably someone you've got to stay on their good side because they'll probably fucking punch you in the face. You should be able to read all these things. And then the more time you spend with somebody, you can pick up on the intricacies, the, the more nuanced things, the details, the minor things. And that's just kind of how it goes. Um, we're going to wrap it up here now. Bye-bye.